Uh, so wonderful to, uh, to see this matter of uh, the vision of God's move this morning. <coughs> God's move is not referring to some activities. God's move actually is God himself. Uh, <coughs> moving by means of life to attain to the goal of his building. I feel this is so crucial uh, for us this weekend coming to see this matter of God's move that we need to be those who are cooperating with this moving triune God in the ultimate move of his economy. This move certainly is not referring to some uh, movement, some activities, some arrangement. We must be impressed that when we are talking about the move, the move of the triune God, we are talking about this very Christ who is the embodiment of the triune God. He is going forth. He is spreading. He is coming into us. He is spreading in us. He is building his home in us. And eventually this home is enlarged, right, to be this corporate building of God and man. When Jero was uh, uh, sharing about this, I was reminded of uh, the verse in Micah. Um, <coughs> in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, um, where you have the verse which says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, so little to be among the thousands of Judah. From you there will come forth to me he who is to be ruler in Israel. And his goings forth are from ancient times, from the days of eternity. This is God's move. This refers to the goings forth of Christ. Not just for once, but continuous. There has been many goings forth of this wonderful Christ. He came forth out of eternity into time, and he came to be incarnated on the earth as a man. And he dwelt, he lived and dwelt among us for 33 and a half years. Eventually, his move took him to the cross. Amen. That was a big move, right? And then that move continued through his death. And after he, three days, he moved by rising from the dead. Amen. And he moved in his ascension, right, to the third heavens. And he continued to move by pouring out himself as the consummated spirit Amen. to baptize his body into what his all the believers in one spirit into one body and today brothers and sisters this spirit who is the consummation of this process and consummated triune God embodied in Christ he is still going forth Amen. this weekend he is going forth here Amen. in the Boston area it's going forth there in Jacksonville. Amen. It's going forth there in Southern California, Amen. in Anaheim, yeah. in San Francisco, Amen. in Chicago. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. All over the USA. Amen. This wonderful one is going forth. Yeah. He is going forth by means of life, by the way of life, to produce a building, an incorporation of God and man, right? To become this organic body of Christ that will eventually become the bride of Christ, ultimately 
the new Jerusalem. I mean, I don't, I don't want to take the time. I would just ask you to read the footnotes of this Micah 5.2. That's a wonderful footnote. And Brother Lee developed this point to show how this Christ, his goings forth. This is actually God's move among us. <coughs> God's move in this universe. So when we are talking about God's move, uh, we should uh, remember we are not talking about just uh, a lot of people getting saved and, uh, you know, a lot, of, uh, 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 and, uh, a lot of home meetings set up and this and that. Well, maybe so. But how about in all the uh, uh, salvation of individuals, in all the home meetings set up, is Christ going forth? Every time when we preach the gospel, right, when we uh, share something with a sinner, that should not be merely some gospel activity. That should be a going forth from Christ. Going forth of Christ out of you into others. Right? So, <clears throat> so today, we are definitely involved in God's move. And here as a the general subject implies that we are in the, even the ultimate move of God. <coughs> Amen. In other words, that now for the six, last 6,000 years of time, since the triune God has come into time, and this God has been taking this journey through his creation, right, in, uh, in Genesis, and traveling through time, and through his incarnation of the God-man, he has been traveling in these last 2,000 years since Christ came. We are approaching the destination. <coughs> Very close. And we are calling this his final move or his ultimate move. The triune God is arriving at his destination soon. And I'm so glad I am involved in this journey with the triune God. Not the beginning part of this journey, but especially in this last part of the journey. Amen. Hallelujah! Amen. Aren't you happy Amen. that we will all arrive at this destination with our God? <coughs> Hopefully, if by the Lord's mercy, we may be those who will see the Lord's coming, Amen. who will bring the Lord back Amen. to consummate this age to be the bride with Amen. him Amen. for the thousand years and us to usher in eternity. Amen. So <clears throat> in a very um, serious way, we are in the uh, ultimate stage of his move. These are crucial days. These are really, a, we are living in a time of all times. <clears throat> Well, in the first meeting, we saw this wonderful vision from Ezekiel 1. This vision needs to become a controlling vision <coughs> of all our lives, right? Through this cycle that we need to be involved in, both, not only essentially, as the cycle seen in 1 John, but also economically, the cycle seen he shown here in Ezekiel 1. <coughs> Through the wind, the blowing wind, the hovering cloud, the burning fire, and producing this uh, God, redeeming God, 
right? This uh, electron, glowing electron, producing this uh, wonderful entity called four living creatures. I'm so uh, touched again. These are not just creatures, not just ordinary creatures. These are living creatures. Amen. These are living creatures. There is a definite modifier there to characterize something about these creatures is that they are living. Amen. They have been vivified Amen. by this transaction with the triune God through the wind, the cloud, the fire, and the glowing electron. <coughs> and it is through uh, the coming force of these four living creatures in this wonderful coordination that will bring in God's move in a practical way as represented by the wheel, the great and awesome wheel of God moving on this earth. <coughs> well, coming to this, concerning this matter of our cooperation, our cooperating with this moving triune God <coughs> in his move, the most critical matter and I would even say the, the, the foremost matter is the matter of prayer. Well, Brother Gerald didn't, did uh, refer to this uh, uh, in his message, that how to bring in this experience <coughs> of, the, of the wind, of the cloud, there needs to be the prayer. It is through the prayer that we are brought into this kind of a cycle, this kind of a transaction Amen. with the triune God. Mm -hmm. Indeed, if we are going to cooperate to render the triune God, the cooperation in this ultimate move, we need to enter into this kind of a prayer. It is by this prayer, it is by this prayer that man's cooperation with God can be initiated. How are we going to cooperate with God? We are not coming together this weekend to organize something, to just uh, uh, propose something, to just uh, arrange something. Okay, there are so many campuses here. Let's, let's, uh, let's go to take over all these campuses. Well, <coughs> this is a human movement. But we are talking about the goings forth of Christ. As a move of the triune God, we cooperate with this moving triune God uniquely by our prayer. It is our prayer that initiates our cooperation with this moving God. It is also by, this, by our prayer that we are brought into such a transaction with this God of glory. Right? To be infused by him, transfused by him, and vivified by him to be produced as the living creatures. Without prayer, I don't know how you can be brought into that transaction. It is uniquely through prayer we are brought into this exposure, this transaction with this God of glory. It is through prayer that we begin to realize that there is a wheel within the wheel Amen. propelling God's move 
to go forward. It is not our arrangement. It is not our determination. Actually, through prayer, then we suddenly realize there is a wheel turning within the wheel. There is a spirit within our spirit motivating, propelling this move to go forward. You know, Gerald talked about his experience of moving here to Boston. The same year I was moved, I was touched by the Lord to move to, to another city, to Baltimore that year. You know, one brother testified when he was a student, it's not time to, to migrate. I was a second year student, college student. I thought too, it's not time for me to move. Let those older folks move. <laughs> but the Lord, when I opened to the Lord, the Lord just, that wind came, and uh, in spite of all my logics, yeah. you know, I thought I have my plan. I, I already, uh, I was making a transfer to UCLA. I paid the deposit. Everything is all set. I already had my, had my uh, you know, all my plan laid out. But when the wind blow, just everything got messed up. <laughs> <laughs> just a hurricane just went through and all, everything just got messed up. And I stopped and I just, you know, followed the wind. I came to the East Coast. Well, you know, that, uh, you know, interrupted my plan and so and so forth. It was a wonderful interruption. Amen. And I can just testify to you, it was a glorious interruption. Amen. And through that, you know, I was brought into more desperate, more intimate interaction with God, a transaction with Him. So, <coughs> it is through prayer that we can be brought into uh, this kind of a transaction, and then we realize it is not any one of us who determined to do this, to go there, but it is really the wheel turning within us, the wheel within the wheel that brings about God's move. Amen. Just like the, the migration, the move to, to, for, uh, uh, to Russia, the former Soviet Union, right? Who did this? You may say, oh, Brother Lee arranged this. Yes, Brother Lee, one day woke up in the morning. He was so burdened by the Lord, you know, when the m one morning when the, uh, in 1991. But Brother Lee by himself could not do this, right? He was, just to be, he was just exercising to be one with the Lord. He opened this burden up to all the co-workers and, his, and then had a conference and then opened up this burden to all the, all the churches. And then the, the wheel within the wheel begins to turn Amen. within many saints. And it was so wonderful, too, because... That was uh, uh, actually the, uh, <coughs> the end. That was the first uh, graduation of the full-time training. The full-time training in 1989, we started. And uh, that was 1991. Summer was our first graduation uh, of the full-time trainees. There was about, I think, 30-some graduated uh, in that first term who were able to answer the Lord's call. Many of them were able to go to participate in that move. Who did this? Brother Lee did not know this two years before that to set up the full-time training for this. It was a wheel within the wheel, turning, bringing about God's move. And it is also through prayer that we learn how to deny the self and to coordinate with other members as living creatures to bring about God's move. It is through prayer, it is through prayer that we realize 
the intrinsic reality of God's economy, which is God mingle with man and man mingle with God. All these can only be realized and uh, actually experienced through our prayer. Well, this afternoon, <coughs> we come to this matter of the prayer. It is a uh, somewhat a common, commonly talked about subject among Christians. Every Christian knows, as a believer, we need to pray, right? We should pray. We need to pray. But the burden I have this afternoon is that I'm is not to talk to you in a common way about some common prayer. Just to admonish one another, brothers, you need to pray, I need to pray. So much prayer has been talked about and offered to the Lord in a traditional way, in a common way. You know, asking God to do this, asking God to give us that. The prayers is, I would say, a lot of time has been misunderstood, misapplied, misused for some personal benefits. I know there are different levels to prayer, right? There are personal prayer, there are some basic prayers that we also, as taught by the Lord, we should bring what we need to the Lord by prayer. But when we come to this matter of cooperating with God's move, that we need to realize we need more than just a basic level of prayer. We need to have a higher level of prayer. We need to understand prayer from a higher level, from a higher realm. Prayer, you may say, is one of the most mysterious practice of a Christian. Do you agree? You know, <clears throat> why do we need to pray? God, doesn't he, he is God, he's omniscient, he knows everything already, and he is omnipotent, he can do everything. Why does he have to ask us to pray? And so many times we are not so faithful to pray. Why does he keep us keep asking us to pray, knowing that we are so, so sloppy in our prayers, so short in our prayers? He knows everything beforehand. He knows what needs to be done. He should have done this already by himself. It would be much better, much more perfect. But yet God, the Lord, charged us again and again. We, he needs us to pray. Amen. Even one day as he brought the, disi the disciples, right, to the, to the mountain, and then he, he showed them the, the field, the harvest is ripe, and then he told them, to the disciples, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest Amen. to thrust out the laborers. Who is the Lord of the harvest? Right there, standing in front. <laughs> you know, if the disciples uh, were smarter, they would say, Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. What, you know this already. You know the field is ripe. Why do you have to ask us to tell you? You are telling us. <laughs> You know, here's a mystery of the prayer. It's not that God does not know. It's not that God cannot do it. But God desires that there would be 
men who through prayer to utter forth what he desires. And in this way, there is a mingling, a blending of God and man, man and God together, to carry out what God wants. God does not want to just do, carry out what he sees the needs, what he sees the needs are, and just to get it done. In the process, he wants to have the mingling together with man. Even in some ways, he, he is willing to be limited. He is willing to wait, to be delayed, in order for us to be brought on, to get up to catch up to uh, uh, catch up to speed, so that we can enter into this cooperation with him, this blending together with him, this mingling with God. This is God's pleasure. And I would say this matter of prayer, it is so mysterious. If you look at the life of Christ as the first God-man living on this earth, his whole life was a life of prayer. He did not pray as a kind of a duty, as just a thing to, that as a... Uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as a messiah, as a savior, as God's sent one, that's something that he has to do. He prayed. Actually, he lived a life of prayer, and he was a man of prayer. Amen. He lived prayer. I surely would highly recommend you to read uh, uh, the ministry on the uh, God-man living. Brother Lee, in that book, he had, I believe, uh, eight or nine chapters on the man of prayer. I have never, never read or heard anything like that. It's, it's not ordinary at all. You know, I would say all of us if not all of us, most of us, we all know something about prayer. We all know our duty, we ought to pray. But I, I can guarantee you, we don't know the kind of prayer mentioned in that book. There in the life of Christ, when he came as the first God-man, <coughs> well, as he began the mini his ministry at the age of 30, the first thing he did was he was thrust out to the wilderness and he was there 40 days fasting. And surely along with the fasting, he was praying. Before he began to do anything for God, he prayed to the Lord. He prayed to God. And then as he went forth to carry out his ministry in various occasions, even in that top speaking he gave, on the supreme teaching he gave on the mount. He taught his disciples concerning prayer. Right? Many Christians took that as the, uh, you know, the Lord's Prayer and then, you know, and repeat it in a kind of a repetitious, uh, routine way. But if you get into that prayer, I tell you, that prayer is altogether in another realm. It's a mystical realm. And this, this God-man, he prayed his entire life. 
Whatever he, wherever he went, whatever he did, he always, he was there praying. Even one day he was there, uh, <coughs> there were these people from the cities rejected him. And he was about to, you know, the, uh, curse the cities. But right there, he was praying to the Father, right? He says, Father, you hit all these things from the wise, but you, you know, you uh, reveal these things to the simple. So, <coughs> while the Lord was engaged in all these, his, his acts, he was all the time praying, even all the way up to the cross. When he was there, nailed on the cross, he was still praying. And that's how he actually expired, by praying that last prayer. Amen. He prayed this whole life, prayed all the way himself to the cross. He was a man of prayer. And I love the utterance Brother Lee gave in that, uh, uh, in, that, in that book. What is this prayer? He said, this prayer is not some kind of prayer offered by religious people in a kind of a religious way, you know, as is heard and offered every day, you know, in, among Christians, asking, oh, God, I need this, you know, God, help this one, I'm sick, you know. Uh, uh, Please, uh, you are the healer. Come and heal us. So much of these prayers. I don't know. If you were God, you'd be tired of hearing all these requests, prayer requests. Just asking him this, asking, asking him that. And he said this prayer is not even a God seeker coming to, coming to seek after God. I mean, this is definitely higher than just asking for many physical things, material things. But this prayer that we are talking about as displayed in, this, in the life of the first God-man, it was more than just a, God, a godly person, a God-seeking person praying to God. Not even a Christ-seeker praying, endeavoring to gain more Christ. What do you say this prayer was? This prayer is actually a, from a man in the flesh praying to the mysterious God in a divine and mystical realm. I don't know, we, can, we still under, we, we understand what, he, what, what that word means. You know, brother just said, this first God-man, pray, his prayer is what? Is from as a man in the flesh, praying to this mysterious God in the divine and mystical realm. On the one hand, as I said, prayer, you know, he is, he is, uh, he is God. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He knows everything. He can do everything. He does not really need our prayer to remind him, right? to tell him. He knows exactly what, he, what we need. He can def definitely give us what we need and to, and to, and to do whatever we, 
we, uh, we ask him to do. But the prayer that we want to see that is needed for the, to cooperate with God's move is a prayer from a man in the flesh. Implying that we are not so-called spiritual persons, strong, powerful persons, praying to this almighty God. We are men, ordinary men in the flesh. But we are praying to this mysterious God. As men in the flesh, we have no confidence in ourselves. We have weakness in ourselves. We are not powerful men. We are not spiritual giants. We are just common men, men in the flesh. But we are praying to this mysterious God in a divine and mystical realm. I hope this afternoon, by the Lord's mercy, we can see that there is such a realm where this prayer, this prayer is needed need to be exercised in this realm, not in a traditional realm, not in a common realm, not in a superstitious realm, not to be just offered as a kind of routine. But we need to exercise in the kind of prayer, as our brother said, from a man in the flesh praying to this mysterious God in the divine and mystical realm. God has a purpose. God has a move. Now, this first God-man, when he came to the earth, he was a sent one. He was commissioned by God to come for a particular commission. He didn't just come to be a, some kind of a religious hero, just to impress people how, you know, how uh, powerful he is, how uh, perfect he is, and so forth. No, he came with a, as a sent one, as the anointed one. He came to carry out God's commission. You may say every prayer that he uttered was for this. So many of our prayers we utter is for, is for ourselves, for, for, for our own purpose. We have no view of the carrying out of God's commission, of God's move. But when this first God-man came, his entire being was eaten up by God's purpose, by God's will. And his prayer was not just ordinary prayer, was not religious prayer. It was prayer altogether for the working out of God's will. He prayed as a man in the flesh to this mysterious God in a divine and mystical realm. Amen. Many times, as, we, as you and I, we experience, you know, we pray as if nothing happened. As if you just wonder even God, if God has ever heard, would have, has ever heard what I prayed? The prayer here is not something utter uttered from someone who is strong, someone who is powerful, someone who is spiritual. 
but just from a man in the flesh, full of weakness and limitation, but praying to this mysterious God in the divine and mystical way. When Brother Lee was with us, you know, many times we got to coordinate with him, pray together with him. I surely enjoyed, appreciated the way he prayed. Many times very simple prayers. Very simple prayers. Not like us. We try to, you know, compose and uh, make sure he's uh, got a good amen, you know, get a, <laughs> you know. But sometimes, many times his prayer was just very simple, very, uh, you know, uh, direct to the Lord. Nothing, not, not so much to inspire you, to so, the, so, so spiritual, to, to, as a spiritual person to inspire you, but someone who just live prayer, just live this life of prayer. So coming to this matter of prayer, my burden this afternoon is that, that the Lord may deliver us from just another message about prayer, you know, and, and to pray, to be admonished, you know, to pray in a kind of, a, just to carry on more common prayers, more traditional prayer, routine prayers. We need to enter into another realm. A prayer that can actually move God and be moved by God. A prayer that can cooperate with Him in this ultimate move of God on the earth. Now, let's take a look at what this outline says. <clears throat> the subject of this outline is on the prayer needed to be one with the Lord in his move to carry out his economy. The book of Acts shows that the apostles never initiated any work without prayer. It is really true. If you read the, book, the whole book of Acts, began with these 120 believers, disciples, praying in the upper room for 10 days. We know the sequence. After the Lord was crucified, he was resurrected. Then he came back to the disciples. That night, <clears throat> he breathed into them, right, the Spirit, and the Lord spent another 40 days with them speaking to them, and even training them how to live by his invisible presence. And after, at the end of that 40 days, he physically ascended. He went to the heavens, and he charged his disciples to remain in Jerusalem, for the pro waiting for the, promised, the promise of the Father. And for the next 10 days, after those 40 days, those 120 disciples, they were praying in one accord, steadfastly. I believe in those, at that time, those disciples, especially those 12 disciples, having followed the Lord for three and a half years as his disciples, they saw, they learned how this first God-man prayed. And now, these disciples, as the continuation of this first God-man, now they are the many God-men to be the corporate continuation of this first God-man. 
They have been instructed. They have been perfected. They have been trained to also live like the first God-man. They began that the next 10 days after the Lord ascended, for those 10 days, they continued steadfastly in prayer. Instead of arguing who is first, who is greater, right? Like what happened when they were still, you know, the Lord was still among them. They were just debating, arguing, reasoning. But now after the Lord ascended, now they all have received the spirit of life into them, the breath of life into them. There's definitely a, a change in their being. And certainly they have, they have learned something from this first God-man. They began, they came together, not arguing, not fighting, but praying. Steadfastly, continue steadfastly in prayer for 10 days. I mean, you should not belittle this, this, this fact. You know, uh, early, uh, uh, last time I was here, I shared with some of the saints that we just, the co-workers, uh, you know, had three days of prayer uh, after the uh, uh, summer training. Uh, you know, the brother we who participated in that prayer, we just, we had, I had never experienced anything like that. And we only prayed for three days. And then we just experienced something, it, it was just, it was just extraordinary. And not so much the prayer itself is extraordinary, it's just that we just, or just ordinary prayer, we just pr all prayed. But that experience together, praying for three days, brought us into an, a realm we never experienced before. But here in, in the book of Acts, they prayed for 10 days. <laughs> 10 days. My, I tell you, in those 10 days, a lot of things actually happened. Outwardly, no activities, no activities yet. But I tell you, the move was going on. This Christ was going forth was going forth, spreading first into their hearts, into the, the disciples, into their emotion, into their mind. The mind that is so divisive, that is the mind, the, the emotion that is so natural. This Christ is spreading, Amen. moving, going forth Amen. into all the chambers of their heart. So in those 10 days, actually, a lot of things happened within those, those disciples. The book of Acts began, begins with these disciples praying. Not doing great work, but begin praying. Then that, as a result of that prayer, on the day of Pentecost, the consummated spirit was poured out. Right? And we know the story. A lot of, we all were impressed by that. Three, oh, 3,000 got saved. 4,000 got, got saved. We like to pray, Lord, repeat the Pentecost among us. But how about first repeat the 10 days of prayer? We like to see the 3,000. We like to see the 4,000. But we may not be able to stand praying for 10 days <laughs> in one accord. But the disciples, they definitely have learned, have seen, they have been patterned by Christ through those three and a half years, seeing a man who lived prayer. They never initiated any work without prayer. Whenever they wanted to do something, they stopped themselves by their prayer, giving God a way to come into them, to fill them up, and to saturate the
their entire being. This is a crucial, uh, it's, a, it's a secret, it's the secret of our prayer. That is, it is through our prayer, we open our being to God, to allow Him to come into us, to fill us, and to saturate our entire being. The secret of prayer is not just to, well, make sure I ask him to do the right thing. Then he will do it for me. The secret of prayer is to have our being fully open to the Lord. Amen. To be one with the Lord. To allow him to come to fill us, to saturate us, so that he and we, we and he, can fully become one. In the book of Acts, in those, through those 10 days of prayer, you see a group of people, a group of believers. They were just like that. They were just open bottles. They had been filled. They had been saturated. Now they've become fully one with this acting and moving God. I believe after those 10 days of prayer like this, every one of those disciples will was ready to explode. They were just filled. They were just saturated. This is what prayer, this kind of prayer would do to you. Point A says, in order to be one with the Lord in his work, we need to pray ourselves into God and pray God into us so that we are mingled with God. We, sh we should not merely pray to God. We have to pray ourselves into God. Amen. And we have to pray God into us. If, there's not, if there is not such a transaction, if there is not such a traffic that takes place in our prayer, then our prayer is just a religious prayer. It's just a religious prayer. Here, little, little worms, we are men like little worms, praying to this almighty God, you know, help me, little worms. <laughs> Help me, God. These are religious prayers. But the prayer that cooperate with this moving God is a prayer that praying ourselves into God and praying God into us. And here to pray means to stop ourselves from doing anything apart from the Lord so that he can do his work through us. Well, there in the, on the point A, the reference there is in Matthew 6, 6. That's the part in the supreme teaching of the Lord on the mount. The Lord taught us that to pray to the Father who is in secret. He will answer us in secret. When we pray, we should not uh, pray in, a, in an outward way. In an exposed way, we are praying to the Father who is in secret. Implying that there is, th in this experience of prayer, there is a mingling, a transaction that goes on between you and the Father. That no one knows. But as you're praying, you are praying yourself into God. And you are praying this God into you. And as you are praying like this, 
you stop yourself from doing anything apart from the Lord and to allow Him to work through us, to carry out His work through us. You know, here the reference is in uh, Matthew 14. This is right after the Lord carried out the uh, miracle of feeding the, fi the, the 5,000. You know, everyone was happy. Everyone was satisfied. You know, all the disciples were excited. Wow, look at what these five fish and two, you know, uh, five loaves, two fish can do. You know, they were all excited. But here you see the Lord, is, the Bible says that the Lord, after that, he went away to the mountain to spend time with the Father. You know, one time I was just considering, if I, were, if I was the Lord doing this, if I fed 5,000 with these five loaves, I don't think I could sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could even sit down. I would be just, whoa, this is, this is marvelous, right, Terry? Yeah. You see what happened? Wow. Oh, I would, you know, tell everybody about it. Well, if not, at least I would just be just... Uh, reminiscing about what happened, you know, I would just be, you know, oh, thinking about it all night long. But instead, this, this uh, first God-man, he went, uh, went away. He left the scene. He did not remain in that issue of the miracles. He went away. He went away to the mountain and spent time with the Father Jesus. What is this? I mean, this is not, this is not a kind of, uh, he, in other words, he was not in a kind of uh, his excitement, in his own soul, entertaining, feeding his own soul. But he was there, he just wanted to spend time with the Father, coming back to the source. He knows that the Father is the source which renders the feeding to all these 5,000. He stopped all that uh, craving or lusts to uh, boast of that experience, uh, boast of what ha ha that miracle. He stopped himself, and he recognized, coming back to the Father, that the Father is the source of all these blessings. Then to pray means that we realize that we are nothing and can do nothing. Prayer is the real denial of the self. I really doubt that so many Christians here, Gentiles and the people of Israel to do what your hand and your counsel predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threatenings, threatenings and grant your slaves to speak your word with all boldness while stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had so besought, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They were threatened by the Sanhedrin, but when they came back in their prayer, they were not talking about, Lord, have mercy on us, uh, you know, uh, uh, keep us out of this trouble, you know, so that they won't bother us again. They were just saying, 
they were, they were, you know, why are these people raging against the Lord, against Christ? Their prayer was not directed toward themselves. They were praying toward the Lord. These people, they are persecuting. They are persecuting the Lord. They are persecuting Christ, their holy servant Jesus. You know, many times our prayer is too much centered on ourselves. You are suffering. You are persecuting. You are praying for your, for your rescue, for your deliverance of your suffering, of your, of, of your persecution. But here these, disciples, these, these uh, apostles, they were praying, directing to God's economy. To this wonderful one, the holy servant, Jesus. Amen. He is the one Amen. that the enemy is trying to attack, trying to persecute. We are praying about this one. Amen. The more they pray, the more they fill with the spirit. Amen. They're filled with boldness to speak the word of God. They know, they realize they are not speaking for themselves. They are there as the witnesses of this Jesus. Amen. My, the earth shook. That means the, uh, the gates of Hades was trembling of these men. They were standing on the earth, not for themselves, not for their own cause. They were standing here for this holy one, Amen. this holy servant of God, Jesus. And she says we need to give ourselves continually and continue steadfastly in prayer and in the ministry of the word. In Acts, we see this group of people, they did not take prayer as a kind of a token thing. Well, you know, just like before you eat every meal, you pray. That kind of, most of, that prayer is a token prayer. You just offer that. They, these disciples, they pray continually. And they continue steadfastly. That means they don't waver. They don't just, uh, uh, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't trade. They don't uh, 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 to, to, to bargain about this, uh, with pray, about with anything else concerning the matter of prayer. They were steadfast. They were not movable concerning the matter of prayer. You know, sometimes, you know, we pray because, Either when some situation gets, gets tense, gets really urgent, then we really wrap up the prayer. <laughs> when things get a little bit more, you know, at ease, uh, get uh, slowed down, and we just kind of unwind the prayer. But those disciples, they, especially those apostles, they said they give themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The prayer needs like our continuing and even the steadfastness in our prayer. That we won't give up so easily. And he said we need the prayer that brought Peter into a trance and brought a heavenly vision to him. What is the prayer that, that brought Peter into a trance? A prayer, what is a trance? A trance means that you are in a state outside of yourself. You are carried, one being carried away off from his own position. Peter, when he was praying, he was caught up in this trance. 
He was outside of himself. When we pray, we need to pray ourselves outside of ourselves. Sometimes I hear, sorry to say, I hear saints who pray, pray, and say pray. They pray to remind God about this person, how bad he is, how bad, how, how, you know, oh, Lord, you know, make him, don't speak those bad words anymore to me. And, you know, sometimes right in front of that person, you know. <laughs> I just wonder, are you praying to God or are you praying to that person? <laughs> I don't think that he was, you know, he was in a trance at all. <laughs> he was very much captured in the, in the web of the self. But Peter, when he prayed, he was in a trance, implying he was taken out of himself. Forget about it. You know, you, if you got offended, if you got, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, got hurt, forget about it. <laughs> don't try to pray to, get heal, to feel better. We have to be delivered, enter into a trance. That kind of prayer, totally outside of ourselves. Forget about ourselves. And we need the prayer that opened the prison door for Peter. If you read uh, that portion in chapter 12, that was, uh, you know, the church was praying for Peter. And then the, after Peter was put into prison, the whole church prayed fervently. You know, it was, uh, I think it's in verse, uh, um, verse 5. So then Peter was kept in the prison. Then the second part says, but prayer was being made fervently by the church to God concerning him. I don't know anywhere else it says, it would, uh, the Bible tells us, the church prays. This is not a prayer by just individuals, some saints, you know, praying for Peter. It was a prayer offered fervently Amen. by the church. Amen. When the church prays, my, watch out. This is not just a few brothers Amen. praying. It's the church praying. Amen. And they're praying fervently. And praying, you know, burning. In fervency and praying as the church. You know, who, who represents the church? I don't know. But surely all those saints. How many were there included as represented by the church? I don't know. But the Bible says the church prayed. Amen. The whole church prayed. My, I think, you know, I feel in the recovery, that's what we are, the Lord is bringing us into. You know, if we want to enter into a prayer that will cooperate with the Lord, we need to enter into that prayer with fervency by the church. Yeah. Not just you with a few companions. Of course we do. We encourage you to pray with your twos and threes. But more importantly, the prayer that will ultimately can render the cooperation with the Lord must be the prayer by the church. Yeah. The church. And EF says, we need a prayer that brought the five apostles, five prophets and teachers into the Lord's commission. We know the story in uh, Acts 13, there were these five brothers. These are five brothers, they are prophets and teachers. And these five, they came from all different backgrounds. 
Some were Jews, some were Gentiles, some were uh, different races. One was a, a, a black, one was Jewish, one was a European, and one was even Menaean. He is the foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrod was the one who killed John the Baptist. And Menaean, he's the foster brother of this killer, of this murderer. And now he became one of the teachers there in Antioch. And he became one of the five who prayed together and eventually allowed the Spirit to send forth the two brothers for this, one, this, this new start of the missionary journey. What kind of prayer is this? The prayer of five persons, all together, different background, different capacities, but they were praying in oneness, all together blended. Regardless of what their races are, what their background is, what their culture is, they were praying thoroughly blended. Amen. Just like Brother Lee said, with much and thorough prayer, they were thoroughly blended as one man. We need that kind of a prayer, brothers and sisters. Not just Chinese saints pray. Not just Korean saints pray. Not just the English-speaking saints pray. We all pray. Amen. Regardless of what our background is, we all come together praying. Through the prayer, we are blending. We're being blended together. And we need the prayer that brought in a great earthquake and shook the foundation of the earth. You know, this is referring to uh, Paul and Silas. They were in uh, Philippi in the prison. In the middle of the night, they were, you know, instead of just bemoaning, oh, oh God, how did we end up here, you know? We are here preaching the gospel for you. We are so, so faithful for you. How did, we, how did you allow this to take place? You know, you, you know, our work got cut short. But instead, you know, they were what? Paul and Silas, they were praying with singing hymns. They were singing hymns. They were not bemoaning themselves. They were not, uh, you know, trying to, they were not uh, uh, praying to God for rescue. Not at all. They were praying with singing hymns. It's the singing of hymns, what? There's an indication, they, that is a sound of victory. Amen. Brother Neesworth says, this is a tone of an overcomer. Amen. What's the tone of an overcomer? The tone of an overcomer is praising the Lord. Amen. How about let's praise the Lord two times praise. together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is a tone of an overcomer. Instead of, oh God, save me. Oh God, be merciful to me. Rescue me out of this heat. Instead, Paul and Silas, they, as they were praying, they were singing hymns, Amen. praising. This is the kind of prayer that will cooperate with the Lord's move. Not a begging prayer, but the prayer in victory. Amen. With the tone of a victor. Hallelujah, on the cross, Christ has overcome. Amen. He has defeated the serpent. Amen. He is the victor. We are just here carrying out, joining him to carry out what he already finished. 
We are always, we are in this position of his victory. Don't look at your condition. Don't look at the church's condition. You have to stand with the ascended Christ in his victory. Paul and Silas were like this. They were, that brought in the great earthquake and shook the foundation of the earth, the prison. And lastly, we need a prayer that brought Paul into a trance and into the Lord speaking to him. That was, Paul also got into a trance. And he, in, the, in Acts 22, repeating about his own experience of salvation, that uh, he was being baptized, calling upon the name of the Lord, and then as he, uh, then he went into the city, as he was praying, that he got into a trance, and in that trance, the Lord spoke to him. So that right after, it was right after his experience of being baptized into the triune God, calling upon his name. So <clears throat> we need the kind of prayer, brothers and sisters, that is a result of our fully being put into the triune God by calling upon his name, fully absorbed in, in him. Lost in him. Amen. So all these instances in Acts show us the kind of prayer, not ordinary prayer, not common prayer, not a kind of routine prayers, religious prayers, but the prayer that could actually cooperate with the moving triune God for his move. These are prayers offered by men in the flesh by praying to this mysterious God in a divine and mystical realm. We all need to learn to pray in this way. Don't pray as a spiritual, as a spiritual giant, but pray as a man in the flesh, yet praying to this mysterious one. Now, Romans 3, <clears throat> let's all read this together. This is chapter 13 of Acts 1 to 4. Well, chapter 13 is a very special chapter. It is there in the church in Antioch through the prayer of these five brothers, prophets and teachers, fasting and ministering to the Lord that gave the Holy Spirit for the first time this kind of a freedom to send forth two brothers for the work. I mean, what happened in Pentecost in Jerusalem was wonderful. Peter stood up with the 11. Peter spoke the message. 3,000 got saved. Another day, 5,000 got saved. But here, in chapter 13, you see these five brothers. Many of them were really not so well known, not, not named. 
that they are named, but they are not well known. Who, are, who is this Manan? Who is this Simeon? You know, you hardly know these brothers. But these brothers, they were praying in spite of their different backgrounds and culture. They pray together in one accord. And the particular matter we need to pay attention to here is they minister to the Lord. You know, many of us, when we came to such a verse, we either skipped over it or we just kind of thought we, we, we didn't understand. What does it mean by ministering to the Lord? As they were praying there, they, was, they were carrying out a kind of ministry. They were ministering to the Lord. And this ministry is not a kind of a speaking. It's not that they were kind of giving, giving a, a message in that kind of ministry. No. That means... It means that they were like servants. They were like servants standing at the side of, the, of, of their master, ministering to the Lord and just being available to the master. Master, what do you want to do? Many of us people, Christians, when they come to pray, they come with their shopping list. Okay, now it's time to pray. Item one, Lord, give me this. Lord, do this for me. Lord, do that for, th for that person. You come with your shopping list. The Lord is your servant at your command. But these five brothers, they were standing there ministering to the Lord. This is a very special uh, characteristic of a prayer that cooperates with the Lord in his move. That means we must pray in the way that ministers to the Lord. Brother Nee, in his little booklet, The Ministry to the House and to the Lord, has a very, very strong word concerning this matter. How many Christians today actually merely ministering to the house? That means, you know, according to uh, Ezekiel chapter 44, there is a mention of some Levites. They <coughs> were not so normal. They were in affected by the degradation of the children of Israel at that time, and they were ministering to the people. They were just doing all the things outwardly, the slaying of the animal, the offering of the sacrifices, doing all those things for the people, outwardly. But then, in verse 11, uh, of that, of that uh, um, anyway, in the, within the same chapter, God mentioned another group of priests, the sons of Zadok, that they minister in the sanctuary, and they minister to me. Those other Levites, they minister to the people. They minister to meet the people's need. But now there are these other priests, they enter into the sanctuary and they ministered, and they stood at the table, and they ministered to me. There's a big difference, brothers and sisters, between ministering to the house or to the people than ministering to the Lord. What does it mean by ministering to the people? Well, <clears throat> there are so many needs. Now, we are at the beginning of the school year. We are going to preach the gospel. Oh, and we just... Uh, we, 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 a lot of activities, a lot of needs. 
I, so I'm not discouraging any one of you from going out to preach the gospel. But as we go out to preach the gospel, we should not be merely ministering to just an outward need. Well, even in the, you know, whenever the church comes together, there are many services, uh, piano, uh, ushering, and many things. But as you are serving in these areas, are you ministering merely to the house, or are you ministering to the Lord? You can be ministering to the house, doing many things for God, in the name of all these needs, but... You never prayed. You never really exercised to come to the Lord, to open yourself to Him. You just follow the, the, the roster. You just do the things because it's your turn. You, your ministry is just a ministry to the house. That has no value. Here God desires that His priests, His people would minister to Him. In order to minister to him, we need to be those who come, who comes forward to him, who draw nigh to him. If we don't draw nigh to him, how do we know how to minister to him? We can be faithful, we can be diligent in our ministering, in our service, in all the outward things. But if we never even exercise our spirit to just come to the Lord, open ourselves to the Lord, to contact the Lord, then your service, your ministry may be only merely in the superficial level, just to the house. So firstly, in order to minister to the Lord, we are required to draw nigh to Him. Draw nigh to Him. Yes? Piano needs to be played. Someone needs to take care of music. Chairs need to be arranged. We need to go out to preach the gospel. We need to hand out tracts. But these should not be mere ministries to the house. It is by our coming to the Lord, drawing nigh to Him. Even before we handle all these things, we must spend time to contact the Lord, to come to the Lord then out from that contact of the Lord, with the Lord, something will rise up as a supply, as an energy, as a vivification, right? To enable you to carry out a ministry, not merely to the house, but also to the Lord. You know, in that same portion, in that same portion of uh, Ezekiel 44, the Lord says, these priests, they draw nigh to me. They also, they came with the blood and with the fat. The blood here signifies the, the cross of Christ that we stand on the position, we condemn anything of the old creation being crucified with Christ, here with the shedding of the blood, and also there is the fat. The fat is for God's satisfaction. The fat signifies all the riches of the resurrected Christ for God's acceptance, for God's pleasure. We come to God as priests. We draw nigh to Him with the blood, denouncing us of anything of ourselves, and also offering this resurrected Christ 
with his riches as the fat to satisfy God's desire. And also, these priests who minister to the Lord, they should not wear any woolen clothing. They have to wear linen clothing in their ministering to the Lord because in this process of ministering to the Lord, we are not allowed to sweat. No sweat. That means no natural effort. You know, whenever we try to do something, oh, oh don't you know how, how busy I have been, Terry? I've been working from day to night. I've been, oh, so busy in the, in the meeting hall. I'm, oh, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. That may mean, may mean I have been sweating a lot. <laughs> I've been ministering, ministering to the house very busily. But ministering to the Lord, we are not allowed to sweat. Christ is our real linen clothing to cover us as our righteousness. We, as we serve, we enjoy him as our strength, as our supply, as our energy. This is our, so apparently, outwardly, we are still doing many things. We go to knock on doors, to visit, pass out tracts, visit, visit people, and then uh, we serve in the, you know, around the meeting hall, but no sweat. Because we are those who have come, draw nigh to the Lord, we have the blood denouncing anything of ourselves. We have the fat. We have the riches of Christ, of this resurrected Christ, as our enjoyment to be offered to God. This is to minister to the Lord. I encourage you to read that little booklet. It's very powerful. Uh, that may <coughs> our ministering to the Lord, may our ministering be, be to the Lord and not merely to the house. And these five brothers there in Antioch, they were ministering to the Lord like this. And as they were fasting, and then they were so one with the Lord, without any of their agenda, without any of their purpose, their own purposes, they were fully open to the Lord and one with the Lord, then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says. When you are ministering to the, to, to the Lord in this way, this gives, the, this gives the opening for the Spirit to come in, who has the preeminence and the first place in that coordination to allow him to be able to speak forth what he desires. So send forth these two brothers for the work. And then all the brothers and the other three, they were in one accord. They, and then the Bible says, they sent forth these two brothers. On the one hand, it was the Holy Spirit who sent them forth. On the other hand, it also are the, is, is the brothers, those brothers who sent them forth. Because those brothers who were ministering to the Lord, they were absolutely one with the Holy Spirit. So let me finish. Ahab says, this was a great step taken by the Lord for the spread of the gospel of his kingdom to the Gentile world. And B, it was begun from Antioch, a Gentile center in Syria, without the organization of a mission, without the raising of funds, without human ordination, and without any human plan or method, it was initiated by five faithful and seeking members of the body of Christ, who gave the head of the body an opportunity through their ministering and fasting. It was absolutely a move by the Spirit, in the Spirit, and with the Spirit, 
through the coordination of the faithful and seeking members of the body of Christ on the earth with the head in the heavens. The Lord needs this kind of ministering. May all our prayer be in this ministry as ministering to him that we as his body on the earth to coordinate with Christ as our head in the heavens. From Antioch, the Lord's move on the earth for God's New Testament economy had an entirely new start. Hallelujah for this entirely new start. And although the flow of the Lord's move began from Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, it had a purified start by the Spirit at its its turn in Antioch. I mean, in Jerusalem, you have those, all those leading brothers, all 12 apostles. They were, they were renowned. They were, you know, they were the Lord's own chosen disciples. And here in Antioch, just five, you may say, hardly known brothers. But they were definitely the faithful and seeking members of the body. Ministering to the Lord in oneness with the head, allowing the Holy Spirit the free course to send out the brothers for this entirely new start of a move, of the, of this, of, for the spread of the kingdom to the Gentile world. It's marvelous. You know, as I think Brother Joe pointed out at the end of our last message, there are still so many cities, so many places the Lord needs to send us to. But we don't want to do this as a kind of movement. Movement, Okay, you go there, you go here. We want to open to the Lord. <laughs> right? We want to come to the Lord to minister to Him. To minister to Him, that means, Lord, what do you want us to do? Where do you want me to go? You don't come with your agenda, with your, I'm, I want to, I like, I like to go to Scotland. I like to go to, uh, you know, why don't you choose uh, Alaska, right? We, even sometimes we come with our agenda, actually a lot of reflection of our choice. You come to the Lord without any agenda. To allow the head, right, as the spirit to manifest what he wills. So this was a purified start. It was a new start. And it was also a purified start, without any tint of the old tradition as uh, uh, indicated there in Jerusalem. Then now, Romans 4, from this we can all see that we need to have a prayer life, for a prayer life always prepares the way for the Lord's move and opens the gate for Him to spread. Amen. Lastly, let's all read uh, Revelation 14, 4. Okay. Amen. We are those who follow the Lamb wherever He may go. Not where we want to go and ask Him to follow us, but we follow where the Lamb wants us to go. So our prayer should be in this way. This should be the kind of prayer that we uh, uh, exercise so that we can render the Lord the cooperation for His ultimate move. Well, we still have about 12 minutes or so. How about we have one minute of short prayer with our neighbors, and then we hope to have many, even uh, 30 seconds of a response, okay? So that many will exercise and respond in a fresh, in a living way.
office. He wants to do something. Now the, we want to do something for him. But he wants to, a group of people, one with him. Amen. Even the Father has a promise. He wants to, a group of people pray to cooperate with him. Amen. So to pray, the, uh, to, to, to deny ourselves, just to into, enter into a realm Amen. that we can enter into him. And then he can enter, enter into us. Uh, now that we initiate something for him, he initiates something. And then he commissions us. Then we can uh, have a, have a uh, Christ, let the Christ have an opportunity to come in forth. Uh, to preach the gospel is another kind of activity outwardly. He's a Christ coming forth. Amen. So we want one, one group of can pray Amen. to walk with him, Amen. to go with him, Amen. to work, move with him. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I really appreciate how we can cooperate with the Lord through prayer. Amen. This is not any kind of a common prayer, but this is a prayer to cooperate with him in his move. Amen. And we can act together with him as the acting God for the accomplishment of his economy as seen in the book of Acts. And it's so clear that here you could see Paul and Silas. They were there in the prison, but they were not moaning and groaning. They were not even, I don't believe they were praying, Lord, get us out of in here. But they were praising and praying. Amen. Eventually, the Lord could raise up a lampstand in Antioch. Praise the Lord for our cooperation by prayer. Amen. Amen. I feel the, the, the burden here today that's presented is uh, that there's something here in this matter of prayer that goes further or deeper or broader than what commonly comes to our understanding or to my understanding. We have the example of the Lord Jesus himself as our pattern. Amen. He's a man of prayer. He was one, a man in the flesh. He prayed to the mysterious God in the divine and mystical realm. Amen. There could be such a connection, such a harmony, such a relationship. Amen. Even in a time of success, he was there in fellowship with God. Amen. Then we have the example of the brothers in Acts 13 who were ministering to the Lord. Amen. They were there ministering, and the Lord initiated something. Amen. And we have the sons of Zadok, that figure, there in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 44. They were there keeping the charge of the sanctuary. Right. And the Lord said, you will minister to me Amen. with the fat and with the, uh, with the blood. Right. Signifying you, we minister to God with the preciousness of Christ's person. Amen. And we minister to God with the Christ's redemptive work. Amen. What a service we have. Amen. We have the fat and we have the blood. Amen. What a ministry we have in prayer. Amen. Amen. Touched by this matter about ministering to the Lord. In the past, I always thought that to minister to the Lord, we must have something of ourselves, right? We must bring something from us, and then we minister to the Lord. So a lot of time in our prayer, we are like giving a message in our prayer, and we thought that it's ministering to the Lord. But uh, uh, today, I'm, I'm really touched that ministering means to be available, to be ready to serve the Lord. Uh, and, and the first and foremost thing is we need to come near to the Lord. Come near to him. Oh, we just need to open ourselves to the Lord to come near to him. 
Oh, and to be available to him, to be always open to him, so that he will have a way, a free way in us, to put his heart desire in us. Uh, only in this way we can truly minister to the Lord in our prayer. I just appreciate that uh, this matter of praying as men in the flesh really means that we are that we have nothing, we have nothing, and we can do nothing. But really, to 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 see that that we have the need of God, who is the, the initiator, the one supplying and the one carrying out the child that he that he uh, that he gives that he gives us, right? And I just appreciate very, I just appreciate also very much that we can cooperate with him in prayer, by, in prayer by just being men in the flesh, praying to the mysterious God in the divine and mystical realm. Amen. Stop ourselves 
and no longer I, but Christ. Amen. That's a basic prerequisite for us to enter into the prayers. Amen. To the mysterious God, you know, the prayer in chapter, Acts chapter 12, that we open the door, prison door.